So welcome to the second episode of the Third Line podcast, where we bring the energy every week. This week we have Jess, Chris, Liz, and myself, Adam. We have some breaking news that has come down in the last hour, and we're going to talk about it. Before we start, let's get into the uh, BC division to start with. The big news that came out today, Wednesday the 31st, is that the Kelowna Rockets have been asked to quarantine for 14 days because reports are that they have multiple players who are now COVID positive, which has sent a ripple through the entire BC division. Vancouver, Prince George, Kamloops, and Victoria have all had to postpone games because Kelowna is not playing for 14 days, and the Vancouver-Prince George game from tonight was postponed because Vancouver played Kelowna over the weekend. So what is everybody's initial thoughts on this? Weren't they in a bubble? So the story is that um, when they entered the bubble, there was a positive test that with Kelowna before they came in. And then I guess there was either another positive test or that positive test has spread. So it's very unclear on what happened because we knew that there was a positive test for Kelowna before the season started. And then now all of a sudden there's new positive tests and more positive players. So it's very, I don't want to say confusing, but there's not a lot of consensus on what's going on in, in the BC division bubble right now. It's concerning. Well, also, especially with the fact that Kelowna has played four different teams already. Yeah. They played three games, I believe. So they haven't finished the rotation because basically how the BC division is going is you just do a rotation of all four teams. And then you just keep doing rotations of all four teams. So it's not like you're going to play... Victoria is not going to play Kelowna back-to-back. It's like they'll play Kelowna, then Kamloops, then Vancouver, then Prince George, then Kelowna. Like, that's kind of how they did the the schedule. So much team haven't they played? It looks like they've only played two games so far. Yeah, so two. The schedule is very confusing how it's set up with the bubble because you have teams playing back-to-backs in this rotation. But yeah, it is very concerning, especially because they don't know where this case came from. Now the whole schedule is out of order, and now you have to find 10 games to replay, basically. It sounds like the bubble was popped from the very beginning. Like, it was never actually a bubble. They quarantined this one person in with everyone else and we have no idea where it's going to go from here so that's a little concerning especially when other other divisions are doing the same thing well and also the fact that bc started later than the rest of the league too so now if they have a delay everything else it's the trickle down effect it's true and this is also concerning because like we were saying it's a bubble so when you think about divisions that might have problems you're probably thinking alberta or the u.s because they're not in a bubble situation as they're playing in their home arenas they're traveling to different cities but it's the bc division that has the problem so now we have to see you know what's going to happen are they just going to add Kelowna's games to the end of the schedule because the schedule is so compact that they left zero wiggle room and that means that what Kelowna is just going to play in two weeks or are they going to say that Kelowna can't play in the bubble anymore there's a lot it's obviously breaking news so we don't know the full story yet but it could be very interesting didn't this happen in the nwhl recently like in the earlier stages of the nwhl i believe the bubble ended up getting popped and a couple of teams left the division because of covid tests correct yeah, so the NWHL had that. And also in the NCAA, there were teams that had qualified for the tournament in hockey 
that have had to pull out since qualifying because of COVID positive tests. And there seems to be this issue where bubbles are bursting all over uh, the sports world. Yeah, I think Notre Dame was one of the main ones that had to leave. I don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, if you look at some of the NHL, it's basically postpone the games for a week, do the tests, wait for everyone to test negative, and then start everything back up. But in a league where profit margins are razor thin and they're already behind schedule. Who knows what's going to come of this? Well, we know about the BC division. So what's going on in the U.S. division right now? It seems like full steam ahead. The games are pretty good, it looks like. Yeah, they're progressing just fine. As far as we know, there's been no COVID anything from anyone on the U.S. division. As far as I know, right, Liz? Yeah. No news is good news on this one, I guess. Somebody scored two goals against Dustin Wolf. That's huge news. Yeah, and doesn't Everett have, like, other than Trent Minor, like, Everett has, like, the top two goaltenders in the league and, like, goals against or say, like, I think Dustin Wolf has like, a 0.25 goals against average in yeah. three games played or something. Like, pretty ridiculous. He's a lateral goal from Henzel and Roulette tonight. Speaking of uh, Dustin Wolf, one of your favorite players broke his uh, shutout streak, right, Liz? Yes, Simon Knack broke Dustin Wolf's shutout streak, and it was a shorthanded goal and basically made my entire night, even though the team lost. I didn't care. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Good for Simon Knack. And then when we look at the other divisions, you know, the Alberta division is chugging along, basically. But then we have to talk a little bit about uh, in the, I guess they're calling it the East Division, this Connor Bedard, how he's just taking over the league and how he's slowly becoming the best 15-year-old to ever play in the CHL, not just the WHL. Okay, but is anyone else really upset that Connor Bedard is never going to face Dustin Wolf in the WHL? Oh yeah, it's kind of upsetting. You want to see the best player, one of the best players play against the best goalie, but maybe that's good for Dustin Wolf. You know, keeps his save percentage down or up and goals against down. Or maybe it's good for Connor Bedard because it keeps his goals up. At this point, I mean, you're stepping on my point for later in the episode, but I'll touch on it lightly. I don't think it would matter with Bedard. I mean, the kid is just insane. And when you look at some of his numbers, he's putting up better numbers as an exceptional status than McDavid, Tavares, Shane Wright. Not only better numbers, crushing other people's numbers. And when you are crushing the numbers of Connor McDavid at the same age, that's scary. Now, here's a question for you guys. Does Connor Bedard get considered for Team Canada's World Junior Team in December if he continues to play like this? When we're talking about 16-year-olds to play in the tournament, I believe it's like McDavid and I think Crosby played when he was 16, but I could be wrong about that. Like, we're getting into pretty elite company here when you're talking about young guys playing for uh, Team Canada. I don't know how you don't consider him. I'll put my money on it right now. He's a lock. Because Shane Wright was invited to the camp, but he didn't make the team this year. But if you look, if you also look at the numbers, I mean, let's put it this way. So I have some of the stuff up. I'll get into this more later, but he's at 1.9 points per game right now. If you look at the exceptional status kids in their 15-year-old seasons, John Tavares averaged 1.18 points per game. Shane Wright, 1.14. Jason Spezza, 1.06. Connor McDavid, 1.05. Joe Valino, I mean, I don't even want to go into that. But the top competition for him at his age group is Shane Wright and John Tavares, 1.18 and 1.14. He's at 1.9. And another stat, all 19 of his points in 10 games 
are primary. So they're either a goal or a primary assist. So he's not even you know, relying on any secondary assist to inflate those numbers. He's directly causing the play or the goal or it's just ridiculous numbers. I mean, even I'm sure Tavares or McDavid or some of those those numbers, there's probably a fair amount of secondary assists as well. We could be seeing someone that is potentially better than McDavid in five years' time. Jesus has competition. So let's quickly, uh, you know, now that we're on the subject of uh, exceptional players, let's just quickly talk about uh, McDavid because he was into a little bit of a controversy the other night with a uh, hit ahead of uh, Jesperi Kokaniemi. And uh, the news came down that he was only going to be fined for $5,000. Quick side note. Can you spell that for me? Nope. <laughs> uh, I saw something actually where someone did the math and I did not fact check it. But it said that McDavid's $5,000 fine for like a normal person's salary would average out to a $20 fine. The comment was like, yeah, if I could just straight up elbow someone that I didn't like, and only have to pay $20, I would do it. <laughs> no questions asked, I would throw that elbow. Probably once a day, let's be fair. If all I had to do was pay a $20 fine, I really do not care <laughs> at <Cha -ching>. all. <laughs> well, it also begs the question, like, and I was hearing this on Vancouver Radio today, what happens if Jesperi Kokaniemi hit McDavid like that? He'd be suspended. Oh, yeah, 100%. So it's this idea that you want to uh, protect your stars, like, We've seen, I've seen videos of Sidney Crosby, you know, spearing people in the midsection or Ovechkin doing borderline hits. To my knowledge, they've, they haven't been suspended. So it's really about protecting the stars and uh, making sure that they're on the ice at all times. Yeah, the fact of the matter is, is McDavid should have been suspended for that hit. Anybody else who had done that hit would have been suspended. I agree. If you look at a video and then you see the reaction between the people, you can tell who's from Alberta and who's from Quebec, because they're completely different arguments, and it's so easy to tell. It's like, Alberta's, no, Kakaniemi dove, like, it was nothing, and then people from uh, Quebec are like, this guy should be suspended for three games, four games. I mean, if you're gonna give Joachim Blickfeld a suspension for <sighs> a questionable yeah. call, and you're gonna give Connor McDavid a $5,000 fine for a very blatant elbow? Yeah. But we covered this. If you take Joachim Blickfield out of the Sharks lineup, their ratings do not change one bit. You take McDavid out of the lineup and they have a match against the Flames, suddenly your ratings now go down. Possibly, but also I would probably watch that game just to watch how bad the Oilers are. Yeah, see, the Oilers are the ones that go down. Yeah, I would enjoy watching that just to watch that complete collapse. That's the price that a team should pay if even if their star player pulls this shit and does something that you know is illegal then you know what yeah you get to pay the price your team pays the price so maybe don't do that that's what the whole point of learning this is like the whole point of being suspended it's not necessarily about how much money you're going to lose it's also about seeing that your team is paying the price for your error and your mistake well, and on that same topic, though, like, I understand that McDavid doesn't play next game or, or two games, you know, they're significantly hampered by that, and they might lose those games. And obviously, that's a penalty enough. I've said for a long time now that it's laughable. And obviously, the NHLPA would have to sign off on it. And maybe that's part of the problem. But the fine system in the NHL, like, yeah. The most you can find someone is $5,000. I'm pretty sure that's the max fine. It might be the max fine, but it also changes 
based on the, um, like whatever you did. I remember Warren, it was Sam Warren. He got random, like it was like 3000, some random numbers. Um, fine. When he got into a fight with Lemieux on the Rangers because he pulled his hair and it was considered a unsportsmanlike conduct. So he got like fined like $3,000 and some change. So every penalty has a max amount that you can be fined for that penalty. But I'm pretty sure the biggest fine I've ever seen might, might be $10,000. So if you're talking about a fourth liner that makes league minimum, that's, you know, that's, it's a pretty decent hit. Yeah, that'll hit him. I think the penalty scaling should more be dependent on like a percentage of say your salary and it's, it's a percentage of your salary. So if a fourth liner does something, they get a $15,000 fine. If McDavid does something. It's a $75,000 fine just so that it's equal. No, I agree completely. Actually. It basically just makes it so that anyone that's making, you know, six, seven mil can do whatever they want. And it'll be like, okay, hold on. I got five bucks in my pocket. Here you go. Sorry for that. Also, the uh, NHL disciplinary committee is kind of trash because I remember a specific incident last year in, well, 2019 in December when Vancouver was playing Vegas and the Vegas defender ran Josh Levo from behind into the boards. Broke his kneecap. There was no penalty on the play, no suspension because who knows why. And the uh, Vegas player went, goes and scores a goal off of the ensuing faceoff. So just going to say the disciplinary committee is pretty trash. Do you mean Nick Holden? Yeah. I forgot who it was. I just remember it was Josh Levo. Okay, well, it doesn't matter. Nick Holden's on the taxi squad. He keeps getting sent down through waivers. No one wants him. Okay, so let's just... Perfect. Karma's a bitch. So now that we've kind of moved on to the Canucks, we got to discuss this breaking news that came down a couple hours ago where tonight's game versus Calgary is postponed because they had two positive cases among players and a positive case uh, among the coaches. We knew about the positive case being Adam Gaudet yesterday, and then there was word that Jake Vertanen was sick. We don't know if that's the other positive case, but you miss a practice because you're sick. And then they know that they have positive tests and they still run a practice today and now the games are canceled. So they're saying it's only going to be tonight. But if we look at the example set by Montreal, they're not going to be playing for another week. It's pretty obvious. The Canadian bubble has now burst twice. Well, I wouldn't call, I don't know that I'd call the Canucks issue a bubble because we've had every division in the NHL has experienced this now, you know, with Vegas and Colorado in the west and then carolina and dallas most notably because they started it right before it even kicked off the whole season and then the panthers and a couple of others missed some games too st louis did miss a few games and then you've got the flyers and buffalo and new jersey new jersey had 18 players on the active covid list at one point so they're the worst yeah. So every division in the NHL has has seen this. And I know a couple of teams have taken a large amount of steps to mitigate that. Because when it was originally set up, I think the NHL kind of bungled it, you know, with the way that they tested, they weren't doing the rapid testing. And they were they were doing the, the day testing and you wouldn't get you'd test in the morning and you wouldn't get the results back for the next until the next day. But then you'd let the people continue playing while you're waiting on the tests 
and then you get them back the next day and go, crap, which is literally what happened to Carolina. Their very first game, they played, and then the night after that game happened, Jordan Stahl tested positive, and he was out, and Tavo Taravainen was out, and a couple of the other guys were out too. I think Tavo even actually ended up playing with it because there was, I think it was the second game. He only played on the power play for the entire game, basically, because he just wasn't feeling good and nobody knew why. So he just sat out and only went out for the power play. But yet sat on the bench with all of his teammates and like, and not only, you know, not only that, but you're exposing your teammates, plus you're exposing the other team. And it's just that snowball effect to that effect. The, the team that they were playing, uh, Detroit. Detroit is one of the few teams that hasn't had a significant issue with COVID, strangely enough, despite the fact that they literally played against Carolina while they had COVID. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but yeah, I mean, each team has had its fair share of issues with the COVID, especially. Assuming that's going to start getting better sometime soon. I know that Ken over at Sinbin Vegas he posted that the Vegas Golden Knights, I believe 80% of them or something, have already had their first dose of the vaccine. That's good. In theory, it should be at like 100% at the end of next month. Teams are catching up for sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how it is for the rest of the league, but I have to assume it's in somewhat of a similar stage. No, probably less in Canada. Yeah. 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 Our supply system is, we're a little low still. I mean, chances are some NHL teams will probably get it before they'll, they'll jump the queue. Cause it's just well, the way business I, works. I know but. that they're buying it privately is why that they're yeah. getting their hands on it is because the team is going out and the ownership is paying for it. And which is a whole nother ethical issue. Yeah. 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 Not to get off topic, but I will say that, you know, if they're going to be buying it privately at the end of the day, what it does is if the league can remain running, it gives people that distraction. And in, in a world where we have not much else to focus on, maybe getting hockey and football and basketball and these things up and running, it'll f- get people to stay home, which they're supposed to be doing, because mm-hmm. your team will be playing. So it's like, you know what? Let's just grab a six-pack, stay home, watch the game. And anything they can do to make that happen, I think, is is worthwhile. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, too, because it's like you need the entertainment you know, when you're stuck at home and these people were demanding that they give us the entertainment. And if they're giving us the entertainment, then they should be able to also be safe. And back to just to jump back to the Canucks, I'm pretty sure. I mean, obviously, speculation, we can cut this if you don't want to speculate. But it was going around Instagram as well that Godet was hanging out with Bezer this weekend. Yes. So there's a good chance that Bezer could have been part of that. And Vertanen, it was also speculated on Instagram. I think he went up to Whistler recently, and Whistler's been having a little bit of a spike as well. So it could be possible at all three. Can't imagine that that one surprises anyone. No, not at all. The answer is simple. Just don't go out when you're not supposed to. Like, I don't understand why people have such a hard time with this. You would think. It's common sense, Adam. Common sense is not common. Let's move on to, uh, I guess, something more positive in uh, Jess's eyes that the Buffalo Sabres have beaten the Philadelphia Flyers and not just beaten them. They destroyed them. 6-1, I believe the final score was, to end their losing streak at 18 games. Does that mean I was right? Because last podcast, I just, I didn't give you a specific date. I just said that they would, they would win against the Flyers. 
You did. Yeah, we can say that you're right on that one. I knew my team would let me down. But you know what? I, I was going to say, we have, we have to give you that one. Give you something positive out of it. I'm happy for the Sabres. Honest to God, I am. Like, they deserved it. They were the better team on the ice tonight. Simple as that. The Flyers, they were a mess. And there's... Uh, I mean, when you have the coach benching three of your, you know, solid stars and putting one on waivers, what do you expect is going to happen? Yeah, you don't seem like the biggest Alan Vino fan out there. I am not. Okay, so I don't watch the Flyers, but is has Ghost been that bad that he was no. worth waving? No. The numbers so don't look like it. No. You're right. His numbers aren't. He's he is producing. He's giving us what we need. Other people around him aren't. You know, I mean, Gustafson and I can't even remember the other guy's name. They're not producing the way that they should be in, on the D lines, and they're being pulled back up from the taxis. We're getting, you know, people who aren't playing on the taxis pulled back up, and you know, people like. Patrick and Lindblom, who are both coming off of long-term injured reserve, who's going to take a little bit of time to find their feet getting benched, you know, and you've got, you've got Carter Hart, who's struggling. Yes, he is struggling, but you have a, an organization that's not really backing him. You know, they're, they're benching him and they're calling him out and telling him that and telling people that he's not working hard enough, which if anybody knows Anything about Carter Hart, not working hard enough is not something that he has ever been accused of. And then you've got reporters coming out and, and speculating on his uh, mental stability. I will, I'll, st I'll steal a hockey term. That was offside. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was absolute crap. Like, I'm, I'm still mad about it. It was... In terms of like journalism ethics, there was none there. All of it was speculation. It was nothing but tabloid BS. And to say any of that in print is ridiculous. I mean, we can in private speculate and stuff like that. But when it comes down to it, a player's mental stability is absolutely none of our business unless they're willing to talk about it. That's not yeah. our right to know. Yeah, whenever you make a claim like, oh, I think that this person is struggling emotionally because of this, this, and this. No, it could just it could be that they're just have, you know, goaltenders have up and down years. They have mm -hmm. up and down games. Nobody knows what's going on in Carter Hart's head except for Carter Hart. It could be that as most people in, you know, in the world, the pandemic is hitting in waves and he's just going through that funk. Like we can't we can't sit here and be like this is the reason. So to even think about writing an article on that nature is pretty uh, disrespectful. Like, I'll give you some example. I wrote an article about one of the Giants players and his mental health, but I only did that with his permission after talking to him and then got the Vancouver Giants permission to run the story as well. So you're allowed to write these stories, but you need to have the player's perspective. Like, I can't say after this player moved from place A to place B, they did better because they were in a better headspace. It's like, no, I don't know that. You know, they could have just been better because they were put into a better on-ice situation. 
writing an article like that, you're making a dangerous assumption. And not only that, you know, like I said, I tweeted out, I said, you know, a player's mental struggles are their own crossed bear, basically. Like, they need to deal with it themselves. There's a reason why so many players these days are turning to sports psychologists, because especially, you know, being a goaltender myself, obviously not a high-level goaltender, but a goaltender, it's the most mental position in the entire game. If you get into your head, it just snowballs and it gets out of control real quick. And sometimes you just need a mental break and that mental break can help you hit that reset button. And maybe that's all it is. Maybe he'll take a couple games off, have some time with the goalie coach, come back and be the guy he was to start, you know, last season, you never know. But even if it is a mental health issue that he is working through, that's his thing to deal with and if he wants his story to get out kind of like a robin Leonard, he will reach out and say hey someone tell my story right and i mean i read the article because i didn't want to you know pop off on on the topic without actually knowing what was in the article um and you know he reached out to heart and heart didn't respond so i mean right then and there you drop the article because Obviously, this kid does not want his information out there. Well, yeah, why would you? Okay, that just makes it even worse if, I don't know. There's just so much I could say about that from a mental health perspective and just like a decent human being perspective, but I don't know. Like, that's just, I would not be surprised. Well, actually, knowing how journalists work, I, I I would say I wouldn't be surprised if he got talked to by his editor, but at the same time, knowing how journalism seems to work nowadays, the editor was probably like, yeah, thanks for getting us all these extra clicks. So, who knows? Yeah, no, I mean, the the editor had to sign off on it. You know, somebody had to edit that and post it. It's not just on the journalist that, that wrote the article. It's on the publication that allowed that to be put on their site he should have thought first. I think the key phrase when it comes to that entire thing is just journalistic integrity. Exactly. And there is none in that article because it's not, it's not our right and it's not our place to speculate on anyone's mental health. I'll just use an example. Like Tyler Mott from the Canucks has come out and supported the um, mind check. I think is the thing that the Canucks started after Rick Rippon um, passed away. And Tyler Mott's been a big advocate of that. But again, it's him wanting to tell his story and coming out and saying, here's what I've dealt with. Here's how I dealt with it. And I understand what people are going through. And if they want to have that conversation, that's on them to come to you and not to just make assumptions and say, oh, you know, I, I think he's messed up in the head and he really needs to get his shit together. Like, no, that's you're just making stuff up and and making an assumption just to get clicks. And that's a dangerous way to try and get attention. Yeah. You don't write an article about it. So we could probably deep dive into this for hours. Yep. But I probably could. I think we've made our point clear here. If you don't have your source, don't speculate on people's mental health. It's pretty simple. So we're going to move on to uh, some more breaking news that came down probably about 10 minutes ago or a couple minutes before we started recording, uh, Rod Peterson has come out saying that the BCHL, now there's been talk about how they wanted to leave, I think it's the uh, CJHL for a while, but now Rod Peterson is saying that the BCHL is 
trying to join the uh, United States Hockey League as kind of a North division, which would be huge because the BCHL does have this huge track record of producing NHL talent. Uh, for example, Alex Newhook just signed today. He was part of the BCHL. You have guys like Kyle Turris in the NHL who have had very successful careers. Jamie Ben, yeah, like all of these players. And if they join the uh, United States Hockey League, it might open up more opportunities for them to get international players, as in U.S. players. And it might also allow them to uh, play tougher competition because now instead of playing the teams only in your division, now you're playing teams across the U.S. and you're getting to see the next wave of the of Americans um, on top of that. I think it's kind of weird timing, though. Um, I don't know that I would have wanted this news to come out during a pandemic when you know it's not going to happen anytime soon anyway, or maybe waited until the off season to say, hey, this is something we're working on possibly for next season. I don't hate the idea. It's an odd timing for me. I don't dislike the concept, though. The first thing that jumped out to me is, you know, we've talked at length about the WHL and how it's a league where you pretty much don't make any profit unless you hit the playoffs. So, you know, profit margins razor thin. BCHL, that has to be amplified even more. I mean, I know the Victoria Grizzlies are in the BCHL and they've had, you know, not great success, but some measures of success. And every year they talk about potentially moving the team and, you know, low on funds, all this stuff that you hear with franchises occasionally. And, you know, we're in capital city of British Columbia. So it's the British Columbia Hockey League. We're in the capital and we cannot be a profitable organization. Now you join forces with USHL. That's great. Maybe you get a little bit more branding. I'm not 100% sure. But how are you now going to travel across the entire United States? I mean, it's hard enough for them to make any money traveling in amongst BC. I mean, you also have to imagine now all of the American teams have to travel to BC. So it works both ways. Well, look at uh, Nanaimo. I don't know how fluent you guys are with the Nanaimo situation in the BCHL, but I believe it's Nanaimo where the, uh, yeah, where the owner of Nanaimo, his son played for the team, and now his son does not play for the team because he's aged out, and he said, oh, because of the pandemic and financial struggles, I'm now uh, selling the team. This is a guy who, he was on his, he was on his private jet to the Super Bowl, and so there's also a lot of, like, people who buy or become owners of BCHL teams who have kids who play in the BCHL and then they have a problem when the kid ages out. Some of them try to abandon ship like in the Nanaimo situation. Hmm. Conflict of interest much. A little bit of collusion there. Now it could be because of the financial situation, but at the same time, you know, your kid ages out. And you post all of these photos of you traveling around the world during a global pandemic. And then you claim that the BC government isn't giving you funds. Like, it's a little bit... Also, wasn't it just announced today that they are? Yeah, that was much... Like, that just came out today. This The Nanaimo owner was talking about selling a while back, but yeah. I'm aware. I saw it. I just was thinking about it. 15, 15 million or something? Yeah, this has been boiling over for a little bit. But who buys a BCHL franchise to really try and turn it into a profitable business. Like, I, I don't even know why you would, maybe just because you have a passion for the game. Maybe if you break even, it's just something to have on your portfolio. But I just, I can't picture 
any team, unless you are consistently dominant every year, it's not going to be a profitable venture for you. Well, I would say like one, you know, if you're in Penticton or Vernon, Penticton for sure, they have a huge history of success. Their arena is beautiful. Like it looks like from just a view perspective that they probably make out better than the other teams. But if you're in like a the Surrey Eagles, for example, there's so much competition down here that if you own the Surrey Eagles, it's more of like something to add into your portfolio than I'm going to make a ton of money off of this. So future episode potential, I'll make a note of this. I actually, there's a guy on my beer league team who inherited the Vernon Vipers, I believe it is. Um, his dad was the owner. He passed away. Him and his sister basically inherited the team. Uh, I think this was a year, year and a half ago, I believe, maybe upwards of two now. So he may have since moved on and sold it to someone else. But I'll reach out and see, uh, maybe we can get some inside info on how the BCHL works and how that whole process goes down. That would actually be really cool. That'd be an interesting episode to have Brian on. Yeah. yeah for sure. So now that we've gotten all the uh, breaking news, all of the kind all of... of it. <laughs> all of it. Are you sure? I feel like something just happened. I'm pretty sure Liz has some news. 20 minutes ago? For the U.S. division. Well, Liz hasn't really chimed in too much. Maybe we should let her do her thing. Go ahead, Liz. The Seattle Thunderbirds handed Dustin Wolf his first loss of the season. Ooh. And by doing so, they handed the Everett Silvertips their first loss of the season with a score of 2-1. to one. And now you get a write about it. It's going to be really, really interesting. And we have a whole bunch of upset Everett fans because they just lost to a T-Bird. Well, apparently no one was a, was surprised. I'm running a poll right now on my Twitter. And most of the responses are either, yes, they were expecting this, which I feel like people are a bunch of liars. But yeah, okay, it's 50-50 right now. So four people have voted, yes, they saw this coming. And then four people have voted, what? Because I added that as an option, but... Nobody has voted that they did not see this coming, and I'm like, hmm. You know, you can't go perfect the whole way, so you're going to have an off night. I was going to say, I can chime in on that. I mean, if you look at this region, anyone around here who's a Canucks fan knows the plight of playing to your opponent. There are times where you get overly cocky, and, you know, the, the losing team comes to town, and you're like, all right, boys, this is a cakewalk. You take them, you underestimate them, and then next thing you know, boom, they hand you your first loss. Well, look at the entire NCAA tournament. UCLA is the 11 seed. They were in the first four, and now they're in the final four. Like, you can't, you know, any team can win on any day. Are we talking about basketball now? That's what I was going to ask. Just threw that in there quickly. Um, that's probably going to get cut out, just so you know, because... We're, we're not basketball, and I hate basketball. So just off my personal bias, it's probably getting cut out. Okay, so uh, now that we've covered, yeah, all of the news, unless somebody has anything else to throw in there, there were, we have uh, a little bit of uh, controversy to uh, discuss because as you, uh, if you check Twitter, you'll notice that uh, Liz uh, got her vaccine shot, and she told us that... Uh, Everybody seems to have a different way to spell her name. Is it Elizabeth? Is it Liz? The weirdest segue into this. What, what, what's the story behind this 10 different names? So was it Joshua uh, Griffiths that asked you about this? Yes. 
So uh, Joshua Griffiths of the Unnamed Sports Show asked about your uh, multiple names, Liz. So can you tell us about it? Yes. My name is actually Elizabeth, for those who somehow didn't realize that my name is Elizabeth. However, as far as my middle names go, it makes no sense because almost every legal document I have has different a different full name for me. Because I was technically born in South Korea and I was adopted. So I have a birth certificate that is all in Korean and I don't know what it says, but it's not the same name because my name changed when I was adopted. Right. I know what the name is, but I refuse to say it because apparently it's actually really offensive in Korean. The few Korean people that I know who have heard or read it are like, that is so mean. Why would someone name a kid that? So that's just a fun little little tidbit. So when I, my, my parents adopted me, they changed my name to Elizabeth. I have two middle names, which I will not say. Smart. Officially, I have two middle names. So how many pieces of legal identification with different names do you have? So I have my social security card has one. My American birth certificate has another. My driver's license has a weird version of it. And then uh, my naturalization certificate, which like I had to get to prove that I'm a legal citizen of this country, has the same one as one of my things. <laughs> I, don't even I don't even remember which one I know. I, I planned on having them all here, but then work was stupid today. My driver's license has my two middle names listed as part of my first name. Oh. So technically, I have one really long name on my driver's license. And it's not like, oh, they just left the spot and it's just all right next to each other. It's, it has it all listed as my first name. Oh, wow. That makes things fun. Yeah, that might have been my fault somehow when I was doing paperwork, but I'm not sure. My high school diploma only has one of my middle names. My... American birth certificate has both middle names. My social security card has just one middle name, but it's a different middle name than my high school diploma. I have my naturalization certificate that I believe has the same middle name as my social security card. So that at least I have two that have matching something, but I always have to be prepared anytime I go somewhere that I know I'm going to need some sort of legal identification because it's all different. I also have a passport that only has my Korean name, so it doesn't help me at all. So we should just cut this whole segment and just send it right to Joshua. Basically, yeah. This is all completely pointless for any, anyone else. Because it's a little bit confusing? Yeah, just a little bit. Here's an hour about Liz Child's names. Basically. Well, you know, it's obviously much less complicated than yours, but you would not believe how many times, because my last name is sometimes used as a first name, how many people call me Roy. I'm like, okay, I get that sometimes that's a first name, but do you really think my last name is Chris? When you see it written down, well, I mean, technically my whole la or my whole first name is Christopher, so I maybe some people have the last name Christopher. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Well, you have no idea how many how many people I get phone calls from going, "Hey, did you get my email?" And I'm like, "No." I think I've sent one of those. People put P's instead of B's or ends uh like where they're not supposed to be or ease at the end like i don't know where they get these spelling from but names are kind of hard to do uh, it seems they can be also it's very likely that this entire section is getting cut just so you know so let's jump into our uh, last segment here we're going to do something a little bit different we're going to call it a plus minus and what we're going to do is we're going to go around the around the call and uh we're basically going to say a plus and a minus 
if you just have a plus, that's fine. If you just have a minus, that's fine as well. About something within the hockey world or something within the daily world that you want to just kind of talk about. So uh, why don't, Jess, you start us off? Oh, good. You would ask me. We've already, like, talked about my plus and minus that I had picked out, which was, you know, the Sabres winning is the plus and, you know, the Flyers as a whole being the minus because if you've seen anything about them, <laughs> they're just straight up a negative. I mean, we already really covered that, so I don't really have much else to say on it. I'm really proud of the Sabres for finally ending that losing streak that had to like feel amazing. And I, I, I saw the faces of the players, you know, as they, as they saw the, you know, clock counting down and they knew that they were winning because they caught like, you know, it was six to one. They pulled the flyers pulled lion at five minutes left in the game on a power play. And the Sabres got an empty net shorthanded goal. To make it 5-1, and then shortly after that, they got another one for one. So they just knew they were going to win. The guys were just ecstatic and so very happy. And I'm really, I'm really happy for them because <laughs> no team should lose 18 in a row. They just shouldn't. <laughs> so I'm happy for them. There was something about how they lost, that their streak was so old that they could legally vote in the states or something. like. Yes, they could legally vote in an election. So why don't we uh, jump to uh, Liz next for her uh, plus minus. Of course, having to stick with my theme of life, both my plus and my minus have to do with goaltenders, specifically <laughs> Portland goaltenders or former Portland goaltenders. My plus is Aiden Hill having back-to-back -back starts and back-to-back -back wins, including one of those wins being a shutout on the second night. Who are they playing against? The San Jose Sharks, both nights. And my negative is kind of a backhanded positive, but also I'm not happy about it. It is Dante Giannuzzi having a 1-1-2-0 record to start the season, but having a 936 save percentage. How are we allowing this? How is he at a 936 save percentage and yet has lost three of his four games? Because clearly Simon Knack is not giving him enough run support. Oh yeah, I mean... It's all Simon Knack's fault. <laughs> <laughs> where's um, where's uh, Mr. Uh, Seth Jarvis? Um, he's on a point streak right now. I believe he's gotten goals in two games now. Not enough. He's no uh, he's no Justin Sorter for Tristan Nielsen. You know. Here we go. Whatever. Okay, Chris, why don't you uh, hop in with your plus minus of the week? Well, we kind of touched on the plus already, but I cannot help but make my plus Connor Bedard. I mean, 10 games played, 8 goals, 11 assists, 46 shots on goal in 10 games. I mean, 1.9 points per game. Obviously, that's probably, I mean, this is going to be recorded, so Lord help me, but probably not completely sustainable to be that good for the rest of the season. But if he is, he's crushing Tavares, McDavid, you know, some of the biggest names in the game at that same age. So, I mean, we could be viewing history and there's no way not to make that plus. I mean, it's, I'm glad that Royals don't have to play him because we're losing as it is without having to face that kind of talent, which is a perfect segue into my minus, which is the Victoria Royals finding ways to lose. They were up against the Giants last night 
4-3, three minutes to go, take a terrible penalty. Vancouver takes four seconds on the power play to hammer home a slap shot, tie it up. 76 seconds later, another goal to go ahead and done. Like, they lose 5-4. game before against the Cougars, it was the same deal. Uh, discipline got in the way. They could have won, and the key word or key phrase that I used was snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And it just seems like so far the youth on the Royals is kind of showing its face, and it's going to be a good learning experience for the whole team this year. But right now, it's pretty evident that the youngest team in the WHL is struggling. The um, second youngest team in the WHL just beat Dustin Wolf. Well, I'm gonna. Uh, can I hold on? I'm gonna add one more thing, and I want this on record because I'm. I'm also gonna tweet it. Connor Martin is gonna steal the starting job from Adam Evanoff before April is through. Ooh. Okay. Those are some big words. All right, that'll that'll stay in. So, uh, just so you know, Nathan McKinnon just got a 10 minute game misconduct for uh, throwing Connor Garland's a uh, helmet at him. And one of the most hilarious gifts I think I've seen today. Wait a minute. The Avs Golden Boy did something wrong? I'm shocked. There will be no Nathan McKinnon slander on this. Oh, wait. Did is, Are you talking about this one that I just retweeted? <laughs> yes. Straight up just was like, here, have this. Yeah, he got, he got 10 minute misconduct for that. Nathan McKinnon hate or not, that is hilarious. Oh, it is. I can say that. It's awful. Like, he should get his penalty for that, but it's hilarious. Also, I would have preferred if, if I was the one throwing it, but it, that's fine. For those that don't know, Liz hates the avalanche. With a passion. I don't necessarily hate the avalanche. No, that's me. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the avalanche and will not really associate with them because they have Nathan McKinnon. My problem is with Nathan McKinnon. And it actually has nothing to do with the Blickfeld hit, like, before people come at me. It has nothing to do with that. I was going to say, we should cut that, and we will have that for another episode titled, Why Liz Hates Nathan McKinnon. We could probably do a three-hour segment. Okay, so I guess I'll uh, jump in with my uh, plus-minus of the week here. So my plus, Thatcher Demko signed a five-year, $5 million, or... $5 million per contract, and I love it because Thatcher Demko is the future of this team. You know, he he was the single reason that the Canucks almost beat Vegas in last year's playoffs. He has been the reason the Canucks have been better than Ottawa this year, if you look at it, and he should be in the Vesna discussion. And then when you look at his overall play, for a goaltender that's making five over five in a couple years, if he continues his growth, then uh, that contract is going to be incredible in year three, four, and five. I guess one other part of that is that Jacob Markstrom, you know, he signed the six by six. So by the end of the Thatcher Demko contract, it's going to be the end of Markstrom's contract. So we can really do a compare and contrast to see who was the better goalie. Was signing Markstrom to 6x6 the better option for Vancouver, or was it staying with Demko and doing a 5x5? So, Thatcher Demko 5x5, I have a list here of goalies that he is cheaper than even at his new contract. Martin Jones. Liz, you want to chime in on that one? Nope. (laughs) Um, Jordan Binnington. 
as much as I love him, Jacob Markstrom, that six by six is going to bite him in the ass for years to come. Because without Ian Clark, Marky's just not Marky. Matt Murray, enough said. And uh, Bobrovsky's starting to come back into his own. But basically, yeah, there are quite a few goalies that Demko is still going to be cheaper than. So at five by five, I take that deal seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That being said, sign Ian Clark next. Give that man his money. Sign Hughes and Pedersen as well. Like, it's... It is not that hard of a deal. Don't spend, you know, $5 million on your, or what, $15 million on your fourth line and uh, maybe sign the players that are going to get uh, points. Yeah, isn't, uh, isn't Hugh and Pedersen up for? Oh, yeah. And they deserve at least eight mil each. Yeah, but because Benning doesn't know what he's doing, you know, and signs Jay Beagle to like, uh, like a giant contract and Roussel to giant contracts, you know, we might not be able to afford them. It's great. Oh, and let's not forget about Tyler Myers as well. Oh, God. The difference between all that, though, Ian Clark, cut this or don't, I don't care. But I'm a big Ian Clark fan. I think he's the best goalie coach in the league. He turned Bobrovsky into a Vezina-caliber goalie. He turned Markstrom into a Vezina-caliber goalie. He's turned Demko into a Vezina-caliber goalie. And you cannot deny he's at least the top in the top three for best goalie coaches in the league. His salary will not come out of the Canucks cap. It's simply Francesco Aquilini that needs to open his checkbook and say, how much is it going to take to keep you here? Because this team, the only competitive advantage they have left is going to be a young, relatively cheap goalie playing at a Vesna caliber level. And when you are cap strapped, it's going to be the only advantage you have. And we got to keep him. Yeah, Ian Clark is definitely... I would argue that Ian Clark is probably a little bit more uh, important than Travis Green at this point. And I know other people have made this argument as well. Travis Green, you know, he can only do so much. But Ian Clark, the players are going to tune out Travis Green now and again. We even see it in Columbus with John Tortorella and Philadelphia with Alan Vigneault. Players will tune out coaches, but the goalie coach is different. Like the goalie coach in Ian Clark's case, he knows how to get into the mind of Thatcher Demko. Uh, he knows how to get into the mind of Markstrom and Bobrovsky. He knows what buttons to click, and they want to work with him. And it, it's kind of like they want to reward him by playing extra. I know they want to win, but there's this like added area. Like You just look at the success that Ian Clark has had with uh, Demko this year, and then you look at the what's happening in Calgary. Like Jacob Markstrom is not having the year that he had last year. No. A lot of people are crediting that to losing Ian Clark. No matter what anybody wants to say, you know, you have to draw parallels in that that case. To that note as well, I've also heard that Archer Seelovs, one of the Canucks draft pick, goalie draft picks coming up through the system, he was at... I guess we did like a pre-camp or something before the season started. Anyways, long story short, Seelovs had one or two days with Ian Clark. And in those one or two days, he said he learned more in those two days than he has in the last two years. And he said he's going to take things that he learned from Clark and he is going to hold that for the rest of his career. And, he, and you know, if you have that much of an impression on a young goalie in 48 hours, what do you think he can do with a goalie that has a high caliber talent level and give him to him for a year or two? I mean, you're seeing the results right now. Like, could you imagine if, you know, the Sharks had, like, a good goalie coach, like, where they would be? 
like the goalie coach really makes a huge difference in uh, the goaltender debate. Vegas has a great goalie coach. Then again, they do have two, you know, all-star. So yes, but no. Vegas's goalie coach changed in the last year. Controversially changed in the last year. There was a big thing where the team was saying Dave Pryor's still with us, and then Dave Pryor was like, "No, I'm not." I thought he was still with the team. Yeah, no, he's not. Otherwise, I was going to agree with you. I was going to say that Dave Pryor is the other goaltending coach that I probably would put up there with Ian Clark. What we have to remember is Seattle's coming in, and they're going to want goalie coaches. They're going to be looking all over. Flat out, take Gerard Glant and Dave Pryor. Just be like, hey, we're just going to be the Golden Knights 2.0. Well, there's also some talk about, you know, Travis Green. He hasn't got his extension yet. Does he wait out the Canucks or have they disrespected him to the point where he might say, you know what, Seattle's a pretty good opportunity down there. I'm going to be playing Vancouver. I can show him what I got and can probably make a little bit more in Seattle. He uh, lives, I know he lives in California, so uh, during the off season. So maybe, I know he loves coaching the Canucks because he is from uh, Castlegar, BC, but you got to go with whatever, op- whatever the best opportunity is, right? Topic for another day, probably, but yeah, I, uh, I do think I agree that Ian Clark, with the exception of PD and Hughes, Ian Clark is the next most important signing that we have coming up. So, and it's not a cap hit. So, Francesco, hey, the man. And then I'll uh, jump in here with my minus. My minus is just kind of the whole BC COVID situation. You know, we had the Canucks cancellation that we talked about. The B- the WHL is in. BC division is having all these types of problems because of COVID concerns. BC is now one of the worst in terms of COVID numbers. We just passed a thousand in the last 24 hours for COVID cases. Uh, We're worse than like Washington state, which is never a good thing. We had new restrictions come in, which meant no indoor dining, only patio or takeout. So things just seem to be really going downhill in uh, BC and hopefully, um, we can change that pretty quickly. I know that a lot of the ski hills and ski resorts have closed down because people aren't listening, which is kind of frustrating. But hopefully with the vaccine rollout, we'll kind of get over this uh, little hump here. So just on that note, um, I actually just found out today that the county that I'm in moved into the orange tier for California. So we're actually allowed to now have 50% indoor dining 50% for, I believe it's like religious gatherings indoor, 25% for like movie theaters and bowling and stuff, or I believe it's 50% for movie theaters, 25% for like bowling. So we're getting stuff open again. Granted, I will still not be going to do any of it. BC is going in the opposite direction. Yeah, it seems like it. All of our bad luck has transferred to you, but at the same time, when you look at how many doses of the vaccine have been given out in california as compared to bc and the premier yelled at us the premier said that it was people who are aged 20 to 29's fault and that they aren't listening but when you look at the statistics you know the people who are 20 to 29 are the frontline workers they're the restaurant workers they're like the people who work at your grocery stores but you know i guess i I don't i'm not going to say much on it i might disagree with the premier you know, the head of our province there. Because last time I checked, when I watched those anti-mask rallies in Kelowna and Kamloops, I don't see anybody under the age of 50 there. Just saying. Okay, so why don't we move on to our uh, shout-outs. So who has the shout-out for this week? 
Okay, well, I can throw a couple quick ones out there just because there's guys that have pushed a lot of our stuff and really helped to get uh, our name out there. Two of them are going to be, let's go with Steve Fisher and Chris Phillips from the Ballhawks podcast. You can find them at ballhawks underscore pod. And they're basically a football pod talking about the Seahawks, talking about the Ravens. And they've gone above and beyond to kind of help push our stuff and give us some feedback. So definitely respect those guys. The Area 51 network, uh, Sean Warren has gone above and beyond too to kind of, you know, give us some feedback and some extra positivity. And uh, finally, Chris Faber and uh, David Quadrelli. I was going to say Faber and Quads are definitely um, in there as well. So the Canucks conversation, anyone in this market probably knows who they are. They've gotten pretty big these days. They're actually going to the press box to watch games. They've got the invite press credentials for the Canucks. So obviously that's big. Um, uh, Faber and Quads kind of started from the bottom and uh, they're showing the way as to how it is in this industry. And they have been class acts every step of the way. Um, Definitely some good detailed advice. And yeah, definitely want to give a shout out to those guys. And we already mentioned him once, but Joshua Griffith from the Unnamed Sports Show. All those guys have been amazing and really helpful getting uh, us on the right track and providing info and helping to spread the name and the word. I guess I'll finish us up. Thank you very much for listening to uh, episode two of The Third Line. Now, what we're going to do is next week, we are going to have a debate and we want to hear from you. We are going to debate which WHL alumni has had the best NHL career. Now, if you have any suggestions on who you think that we should be debating on behalf of, you can direct message the pod on Twitter, or you can send us a message on who you think we should be debating ourselves. Once again, it's anybody who has played in the WHL and who has had a successful NHL career afterwards. So all you got to do is look up at third line pod. That's at three RD line pod on Twitter. Send us a message or send us a message individually on who you think we should be debating on behalf of. So that wraps up the second episode of the third line. Thank you very much for listening. Once again, you can find us on all your favorite podcast listening devices whether that's spotify apple anchor anywhere else if there's any other ones that you listen to please let us know and we will try to get up there and we will uh, talk to you next week